0: Welcome to Seymour podcast about movies and TV. I'm Juwan, and I'm really excited for today's episode because we've yet to talk about cinematography on this show. And I get to do that for a very special movie that I feel got snubbed during last year's award season. And I get to do that with a very special guest. The film is Good Time by the Safty Brothers, and my guest is one of the co-founders of Cesspool and a really good friend of mine, Jack Summer. If you aren't familiar with the 2017 film, it stars Robert Pattinson, who's basically trying to help his brother out of a jam, uh, who's played by Benny Safdie, who also co-directed the film. And the whole film basically covers this one crazy day, and it's one of the more uniquely filmed movies I've seen in a while. The director of photography was Sean Price Williams, and he's worked with the brothers before. This is an A24 film, and it takes place in New York City, and it very much captures kind of the grimy, grimy, gritty backstreets of New York that we don't often see in film. While it's the trio's fourth feature length film, the first three were pretty small. So this was the first one with a budget and a release. And again, this is one of my favorite movies of the year, and I'm really excited to talk about it. At the time of this recording, it's currently on Amazon Prime. So if you've got a subscription, that's an easy watch. And as always, no spoilers for the film. Let's get right into it. Jack, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, this has been, I've wanted you on for a long time.
1: I mean, the show has only been going like two months or something.
0: Yeah, about seven weeks. It feels like so much longer though. You're obviously, you're one of the co-founders of Cesspool. You've had your hands in the show for quite a while now. You've seen how the cake gets baked. That's a saying. Sure, yeah. Yeah.
1: seen more. That's good.
0: Yeah, you've seen more. (laughs) Than most do
1: add the little drum sound effect you know
0: you and kevin co-founded cesspool so it's great to have the suits in-house for the record
1: i'm more of a t-shirt guy but (laughs) sure if you want to keep using it go ahead
0: no you're actually in a suit right now which i thought was a weird choice for a podcast (laughs) you look pretty stiff This is a film that I've been meaning to talk about for a while because it's one of our favorite twenty seventeen films. And in the seven episodes we've had on Seymour, we've yet to talk about cinematography. So this is a great place to start, I feel like, because Good Time, which is the film we're obviously talking about, has a very unique style. And what was that like the first time you saw it in a theater?
1: So the first time I saw Good Time was at the AMC Lincoln Square, which is on like sixty-eighth street in Manhattan and I knew of the movie because it's an A24 movie and they had been promoting it and etc. But I didn't know about the Safdie brothers prior to that and anything. And I had never seen like the Twilight movies. Robert Pattinson is in this. So basically, I was just excited about it. It seemed like an interesting movie. And I went to it with my friend Matt and we were just blown away. Like, yeah, it was it's like one of those movies where. After it ends, you're almost like, wait, was it that good? Like, that sounds
0: bad. <laughs> no, but I, you're waiting for something to, for it to take a dip. Like the level of how consistently great it is, it never drops off. And that has a lot to do with the pacing. But I, I completely understand what you mean by that.
1: Yeah, it's like, wow, could it have really been as amazing as it felt the whole time? Because it grips you from the beginning and kind of never lets go. And that's also the cinematography is like a big part of that.
0: Yeah. And I want to commend you for True New Yorker off the dome. You were like, I think it's like on 58th Street, 7th Ave. Like you just knew exactly <laughs> where the theater was.
1: I mean, it's a great spot. I've been there several times. Yeah. Uh,
0: I've seen you posted up around there several times. And you also bring up a similarity, whereas this was also my first exposure to the Safty brothers as well. And they yeah. made quite the first impression on us with this movie. Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: And they were actually, they did a Q&A at the movie that I went to. Oh, wow. That was like part of the reason why I went to that specific one. It was like the opening weekend in New York and they were doing some Q&As and that was cool too.
0: Well, I won't make you spill the beans on the entire Q&A, but after watching the film and hearing him talk in person, do you think that? what do you think that added to the overall viewing experience of the film?
1: I mean, I'm a person who likes to hear a lot about how movies are made and all that which is you know fitting for this podcast it's always interesting to hear from directors and other crew members and so forth and especially like auteurs who have to like such a specific point of view
0: yeah and style and it raises the veil it makes it feel a lot more like these are real people making this real thing as opposed to you know and and you right. you hear about how they do it we'll get to this in a second but they have a very boots on the ground sort of approach to filmmaking where they like to just get into it they usually don't work with a lot of permits especially prior yeah. to this
1: film it's very like diy very punk like very raw like they like to use that energy
0: yeah and that's incredible to hear for a young filmmaker as yourself to know that
1: yeah i mean they're a perfect example of Just go out and make your stuff and don't let anyone tell you you can't do it because like their first films, they made three features before this and they were just constantly filming in locations without permits and just like doing stuff that they wanted to do and just going out and doing it, you know?
0: Yeah. It's a very skateboarders mentality to filmmaking. Yeah. Let's actually talk about how it was shot. And what kind of makes it stand out? And it was shot on 35 millimeter and it was just in your face. It wouldn't stop. It was, or I guess it was in Robert Pattinson's face the entire time. Yeah.
1: And for people who might be super casual movie listeners, 35 millimeters basically they shot on film as opposed yeah. to digital. These days, digital is the main go to, but they wanted to take it back to. Movies they grew up watching and loved. They even did like a series of programming at the Metrograph in coordination with the movie releasing. And they had like After Hours, which is like a Scorsese movie. They had Heat. They had Thief. They have like a style that's kind of reminiscent of those older New York movies, especially.
0: Yeah, no, and it definitely shows in its grit. And it shows in all of the the grain and uh, Robert Pattinson's just like, I feel like before every shot they just threw a bunch of oil on his face <laughs> and like dirt and then like bruised it up a little bit. But it was definitely, a lot of the color came from the reflection of color from his oily face. Right. I feel like, and it's, it's such a great sight. Um, obviously I, him being handsome, but <laughs> the exaggerated use of color and I should mention Sean Price Williams is the cinematographer and he's worked with the two brothers before. So this is not the trio's first go around. They've also known each other for like almost a decade before working on it. He wanted to basically tear that 35 picture up as much as possible. I, I read about how he was like, no, we need to...
1: Not like, like literally tear it up.
0: Yeah. Just <laughs> like he wasn't happy with it. He just tore it up. But just to push the colors and push the grain and push the... They would film with basically where there's like visibly no light And they were just sure that like, now it's 35, it'll show up. Like, don't worry about it. They got very experimental with it. And
1: like, he worked with a big documentary filmmaker, one of the most well-known, and he had a lot of practice in that. So they used this kind of mixture of like a documentary on the go, raw DIY punk approach, but with also these like stylized colors in the light coming throughout the whole thing. And it kind of creates this balance of like this very focused and stylized lighting, but mixed in with this gritty, raw movement and approach.
0: Yeah, and that's a great point about the history with documentaries. If you think about how you shoot a documentary, it's shooting something real in a way that feels real and in a way that you're capturing a real event. So when you have that approach that this trio has, Bringing that documentary background makes the action on screen feel more believable because it's shot in a way that helps it do so. I mean, not to spoil the film, but there's a chase sequence in the very early portions of the film that was filmed unlike anything I've ever... It's as if I were seeing this chase sequence happen from afar. And that's usually not the go-to technique when you want to show off action and show off the speed of the character's movement. In addition to all of
1: that, they also balance it with these like helicopter shots throughout as well as other like wider camera movement approaches. And it kind of balances out and mixes with that in a unique way.
0: Yeah. And that juxtaposition was very interesting because most of the film is, like I said, very in your face, uh, fast zooms. It opens with like one of my favorite zooms. It's like right into Robert Pattinson's face, but we're very close up. And then out of nowhere, we get these huge, just kind of like very wide shots that are used very sparingly in the film and usually occur when someone's in a car or driving a car. That was weird because there seems to be very little middle ground. What do you think the sort of artistic decision behind that was?
1: For one, I know they were like itching to use helicopter shots because they didn't have the budget before and they wanted to do that on their previous movie, heaven knows what, but they're also not the people who will just like do something just to do it. And I think the like real reason behind that is kind of tied into the element of like, you're on like a chase with Connie, the main character the whole time. And when the car is like in motion, it's, kind of ties back to like, you know, the OJ chase, which I think they've talked about and stuff like that, where it adds this other level of paranoia or on edge or searching and all that. Yeah. And I think also like the first shot of the movie is like a view of the skyline in New York and it like zooms in or pans into this one building and the goes to this one room and this one person and that kind of speaks to the idea of like the whole time you're in this big city new york city but you're focusing on very specific people and like with the wider helicopter shots like in the whole thing it's again like a reminder of like yeah you've been in these close-up shots with these characters and been real intimate but don't forget they're also part of this like bigger world and you know
0: yeah thing going on and josh safty one of the brothers spoke about sean and how he would because you mentioned that he films with a lot of intention and he would challenge the two brothers and this is one of the pros to working with someone for so long is that line of communication is is very clear yeah he would always question like why a dolly shot here why are we going to use steady cam? like why are we going to use a shaky cam here and if they didn't have an intellectual response that benefited the story or the performance in any way he would just be like no we're not going to do it that way right and i say that and it sounds obvious and you would like to think that every film shot that way but this is one of the pros of shooting you know that diy approach that they're not on a schedule and they're not just trying to make things flashy to appeal to a wide market everything yeah i mean they're attention.
1: also like not all directors are super hands on with the visuals and Josh especially is super hands-on with that a lot. So it
0: lends to that
1: collaboration and
0: that kind of overall vision. And we talked about dolly shots, steady cam shots. They also used uh, searching pans. They use slow zooms, paranoid zooms, a number of different styles that in any other film would seem maybe not so cohesive. But because again, the frame that they're that they're shooting, which is a very up close frame. It, it adds a lot of variety to the image that they're consistently shooting, which is just, you see a lot of Robert Pattinson's face here.
1: Yeah. 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 So we've talked about the variety, but the main thing you see throughout is these close tight shots where usually you don't even see the whole head. It's like cropped in on the face in this kind of wide angle. Not a lot of head space. And it, adds to like the feel of the movie because like you mentioned like paranoia right like yeah when you're in such like tight quarters with the characters and you're also trying to create intimacy and all this like it only adds to it and only creates more of a sense of you don't know what else is going on outside of it and you're kind of always on edge to see what else lies beyond the frame
0: and you can't see what's to his right to his left Yeah. And you usually can't see what's in front of him. They're usually shots where he's facing the camera and he evokes a lot of emotion. He has a great, this is one of my favorite performances of his. And he evokes a lot of emotion. So there's that tension of like, what's he seeing right now? What's, how's he going to behave? And that's a great, great point of all these different techniques and how they make us feel as a viewer.
1: And also, speaking of like the collaboration we were talking about, they said that on the first day of shooting, When they were doing an elevator scene, which is like also in the beginning of the film, they did some takes and then they did another one where Josh told Sean Price Williams, like, do whatever you think is interesting or would look best. And Sean basically got within inches of them and went super, super close. And that kind of set the tone for the rest of the shots throughout the movie.
0: Yeah, and they did a really good job casting characters with very unique faces right? that are very visually dynamic and with really interesting bone structure. And that goes a long way. And if you're going to be up close in these people's faces, making it look interesting. And again, we talked about they're always his face is always dynamic so robert pattinson's hair is constantly changing there's a lot of texture on his face he's always dirty you know he's marked up by the end of the film and early on they wear these skin tight masks that have a lot of texture to them so they always find a way to keep it visually aside from just the lighting the face is visually changing and
1: uh and the colors like we talked about
0: yeah great point and and the colors too so you know we're not just set on his face and just kind of like he's breezing through his day he goes through some stuff and because it's filmed the way it does and we're with him through the drama the tension the emotion we feel that
1: i think also close-up shots are usually used in movies more sparingly like usually in a movie when there are close-up shots it's done at a specific time for a specific purpose but they kind of stick with it as like the default, you know, and then use wider shots for the other kind of random times where it benefits them.
0: Yeah, and those stand out. So shots that would otherwise be standard shots in regular movies really pop here, which kind of adds to the tension, right? It makes me feel weird of this thing that I'm used to seeing. Like, why are they using it now? What's happening here?
1: And also like with the close-up shots with the faces, it's kind of what you see if you were in the position of, say, being another person there where you're looking at someone and you're seeing their face. And sometimes the shallow depth field where it's like a focus on
0: just that person, you know,
1: and it's yeah. kind of mimicking of like a real life vision of if you were there.
0: Of how we interact with people and the right. eye line. you know, Connie's not a, a great guy, but that definitely helps with us relating with him, because it looks like we've been uh, speaking on a subconscious level, communicating with him throughout the film. In terms of how the cinematography affects the storytelling, you know, the whole thing takes place in over the span of maybe a day, 24 hours, and we really feel every minute of that day. Because I feel like a lot of the tension comes from the cinematography and the stakes, while made very clearly, it's a very simple movie in its objective.
1: I think... The mixture of the visuals and the score, but also the plot and the acting, like the performances that are given kind of make you feel on edge. And especially with Connie, Robert Pattinson's character, he has this kind of like anxious feel to him where he never feels like settled. He's always trying to like do the next thing. Yeah, And I think the viewer feels that consciously or subconsciously and
0: I also want to bring this up in terms of how it was shot that the locations that we're in aren't necessarily exotic locations they're very right. street level an apartment with without any lights on a, a hospital hallway they find a way to bring color and a lot of these neon colors in these very ordinary dark dreary places and I think that's a right. huge accomplishment to do it in a way that's Both stylized, but feels natural.
1: Yeah, it's a very hard thing to do in the sense that most movies, these locations would look very bland and kind of dull in color. And even in like the first real scene of the movie, they're in this like office space and there's this like green light coming from one of the sides and it looks natural, but it's also... Not something you would usually see in another movie in a space like that. It would just be kind of bland lighting. So off the bat, they have this different sense of lighting and color into
0: their spaces. So Sean also said, to your do-it-yourself point, that they would have days where there's a simple transition shot where Robert Pattinson's on a train, and it's just a full train of people. And on that day, they took all the equipment, like the three of them, or I guess the four of them walked on like a random pack train and just filmed during rush them. hour. During rush hour, the directors would text them uh, the notes of like the right. like, directing notes while they were there. And he said that nobody really caught on. He said one guy caught on. He like kind of knew what they were doing and could recognize him. But I think Robert Pattinson had like a hoodie on too, so that helped uh, disguise yeah. him.
1: I mean, he also doesn't look like typical Robert Pattinson. In the film, you know, so that adds to it. And to his credit, he blends in as a New Yorker. So,
0: yeah, he's a great looking New Yorker. Like, I didn't think if I had never seen him before, I'd think he was born and raised in Queens. Queens, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Which is where this film was shot, right? Or where this,
1: yeah, uh, most of it was pretty much shot in Queens.
0: Yeah, Sean did a really good job of making Queens feel exotic. And he even said that because film is so flexible that in that medium, you can make it feel very nostalgic. And I feel like that's something we haven't brought up yet, that this film does feel like, or you kind of did, like it could have come out in the 70s or 80s as an experimental film.
1: At least in terms of style, like it does, of course, have like modern elements with phones and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Just in terms of how it was made and how it feels, definitely kind of a throwback in that sense. but. It doesn't feel like a nostalgic movie. It feels modern.
0: Yeah, especially in its pace. No scene is wasted. Every scene accompanies the following or is immediately led by a scene that either answers that question or sort of builds on it.
1: So I'm from New York and you're from Florida, but you've been living in New York for a bit now. So for you as someone who's been living here, but not from here, how did like the New York stuff, impact how you saw the movie
0: i feel like a lot of films romanticize new york and i felt like this film and while the city's very romantic this film was like the film that wasn't scared to film those like sketchy alleyways that every new york film decides to like avoid they're like <laughs> oh let's shoot at central park and like this film was like no and it captures in a w- weird twisted way like that get it done by any means like haul ass right. uh Like I've had very, like everyone else who's lived here that's moved from not a city, you get lost someday and you have a rough day and you just need to like (laughs) figure it out. It's even edited in a way that like, you can tell that they were like raised here in how they captured that sort of a, that angst.
1: Yeah, it feels connected to the quote unquote real New York. And like you said, they choose more hidden spots and more unique spots, even down to... Adventureland, which is, you know, an amusement park in Queens that they said they went to growing up themselves and stuff. So they baked that in. Yeah. Sean Price Williams also said that he wanted to give it the feel of like a surreal nightmare. Yeah. Which plays into all the visuals as well. Yeah. But it also feels natural because New York at night has a lot of those neon signs and
0: all that. Definitely. The trio has said on the point of you know, filming in New York, that New York has this weird and wild, kind of like a wild card and authentic energy to it. And they often like to just go out and capture some of that energy as opposed to recreating. And like we were talking about romanticizing what they want people to think New York is, right? They they go out and just kind of like search for that energy. So they've said that they don't use any marks for actors. and
1: And they also like purposely... Like underlit scenes and all that too, which yeah. adds to like the graininess and stuff as well. But yeah. it never looks like you know bad. It's just an artistic choice of like adding more grain than say a Hollywood film would Absolutely. have with a very like clean look and polished
0: look. And that energy's, if not seen, felt through the visuals through like pushing the exposure up because they shot it without any light or you know, there's always some kind right. of texture on screen. Yeah. Whether created while they were shooting or in post, it's all just a product of them searching for the action instead of trying to like create it. Yeah. Again, we were talking about this very appealing for younger filmmakers with less of a budget, with less bandwidth of like go out there and just create it yourself. It's out there, try to capture it. And that's one of one of the and better I'm- lessons that I've learned from from them.
1: Yeah. And also, it feels like we've been talking about it as, you know, they're very DIY on the go, which is true, but they also feel very masterful in the craft. And when you're thinking of this movie, if you haven't seen it yet, maybe you envision it being kind of scrappy and maybe not looking the best because we're describing it this way, but it feels very much like they know exactly what they're doing at all times. And they have like a firm lock
0: on the visuals. That's an excellent point because there's mastery to that skill. Like that scrappiness that you're talking about is a skill set and it's not right. just a go figure it. They've obviously been doing this for long enough that they've, there's mastery in it and there's real craftsmanship. And I'm glad you pointed that out because it sounds like we're talking about some student film and that's uh, yeah. Don't get it twisted. The Safety brothers don't. Uh, <laughs> they're really great. And I absolutely recommend that everybody go check this movie out if you haven't already. Again, it's on Amazon Prime Yeah. at the time of this recording. So definitely. I think, Jack, you saw it again.
1: Yeah, I saw it in theaters once. I saw it at home once with my dad. And then I saw it again last night. Yeah. Just to refresh my memory before we talked. And I'd say it's like top twenty-five
0: all time for me. I'd say high praise, but I think I'm with you on that. It's a film that I thought about for weeks after I watched it. Did you notice anything, just for fun? Maybe not even about the cinematography that you noticed on your third viewing that you hadn't noticed before. <laughs> it, sound, <laughs>
1: it sounded like you said cinematography.
0: Cinematography. <laughs> well, it's a new form of. See, that's what Sean Price Williams. That's what he brings to the table. He's always that filming should, with... <laughs> he's got like a, <laughs> just a dozen Cinnabuns. That should be your new YouTube channel, Cinnamonography. <laughs> Cinnamonography. What up, YouTube? It's your boy.
1: Well, this time specifically, I was especially trying to be aware of the visuals even more than before. Like I was very consciously trying to look at it and see what it does to you. Yeah. And what I found was that like... I couldn't help but keep getting sucked into the movie itself. And even after seeing it twice before, I still was so like captivated by the story and it was hard to just keep thinking, oh the visuals, what are they doing here? Like, you know. Yeah. It just kind of sucks you in, and the visuals play a big part in that.
0: Yeah, I think you inadvertently complimented the visuals with like the highest compliment that you could possibly <laughs> give it, which is that even when you're solely focused on that the visuals did such a great job and were such a big part of the movie that it sucked you into the rest of the film from a subconscious level because you were just trying to look for some of the visual elements. Of, right? Yeah, the power of cinematography. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's do a quick trivia before we get into the rapid-fire questions. The trivia for today is that obviously we mentioned that Robert Pattinson dyed his hair a couple of times. Apparently, they recorded that so often, they dyed his hair so often that his hair started to fall out in chunks because of how many times they had to bleach it.
1: Yeah, I mean, he only does it once in the movie itself, but obviously, they don't necessarily shoot it in those periods of, you know, oh, let's get all the dark hair stuff first. And then Yeah, they
0: split the shoot into black hair and blonde hair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, it would have been smart, but there's probably other logistical reasons with locations and stuff.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. After dyeing it black first, they peroxided it to blonde and they had to bleach it back and forth several times, obviously, because of whichever scenes required the colors. And they shot a bunch of scenes in the bathroom where he actually applies the dye in front of the mirror, but those scenes kind of took too long and were too slow and affected the pace of the film. So they just left that out. Yeah. As soon as the shooting wrapped, he ended up shaving his head because his hair was just like, he just had patches of bald so I thought that was that was pretty fun.
1: And And there's a there's also like a great picture that they use for some promo stuff for the movie of him with the shaved head and this like black and white shot,
0: which is a pretty good one. And let's get into some rapid fire cues. Jack, I didn't prepare any for the show. So these were all up to this point off the dome. Now all right. I'll start off with a softball here. You're one to color your hair. Am I yeah. correct? Yeah, yes.
1: Yeah, I've actually gotten comparisons to Robert Pattinson's blonde character in the film just because of, like, that aspect.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Robert Pattinson's famous for another role as Vampire Dude in Twilight, and thats right. I believe that's his name in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's obviously the, you know, are you Team Edward or Team Jacob? Is, you know,
1: I've never seen the movie, and I know that's, like, a thing, but... <laughs> I'm going to go team Robert Pattinson, whichever one he is in the movie.
0: Yeah. Okay. And now a follow-up question. Are you team Robert Pattinson black hair or team Robert Pattinson blonde hair? Blonde hair all day. Oh, interesting. So the third question is going to be the first ever multiple choice question here on Seymour. You're very lucky.
1: <laughs> wow. Very uh, historic.
0: After seeing this Safety Brothers thriller, which... Slash drama. Slash drama. drama. Which film genre would you like to see them tackle next? And the options are A, uh, rom-com, B, comic book movie, or C, sci-fi film?
1: Interesting options. I would say that even though I'm not a sci-fi fan, I feel like what they would do with the genre would be really interesting. And I feel like they could make something that's super dynamic and
0: different for the genre. Yeah, that's a great option.
1: And I would say also that they do have projects announced for coming up. They're doing one called Uncut Gems with like Adam Sandler and a bunch of people that they had been working on before Good Time. Good Time, like Robert Penson, like hit them up after he saw a still from Heaven Knows What and wanted to work with them. And they kind of made this around him. But they're also working on a 48 hours kind of reboot like it's not a remake of the movie but it's another version of that so they have stuff coming up but definitely for future ones a sci-fi one could be interesting
0: very nice thank you so much for coming on man where can we find maybe where can people follow you find your stuff
1: just follow the group you know cesspool network you can follow me if you want jack bloom summer summer with an o on everything
0: yeah yeah Please do follow him. He, uh, you're quite the photographer. Thanks for having me. That was this week's show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. You can hear new episodes of Seymour every week on Tuesdays on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And remember, Seymour is just one of many shows that Cesspool has to offer for more info, visit cesspoolnetwork.com to see our full weekly lineup or follow at Cesspool Network on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Juwan underscore chirps, on Instagram at Juwan underscore snaps, or follow what I watch on Letterboxd at Juwan Gonzalez. See you next week.